Hi friends, future Jillian here. I just wanted to pop in really quick and give you guys kind of a warning, but not really. Um, just a friendly reminder that you were listening to our earlier episodes. So at this point, we were still kind of figuring out our groove and figuring out what we were doing. And so please don't judge us on these ones. At least give some of the newer ones a listen. We really got into it around episode four or five, but we got our new microphones in episode nine. So you will notice quite a bit of a sound quality difference if you're listening backwards from our newest episodes to our first episodes. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up and thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Murder and Misery, which is our new podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Heather and... And I'm Jillian. So we decided to start this podcast because Jill is, in my eyes, an expert on all things true crime. She wears the shirts, she goes to the conventions, (laughs) she talks the talk, and I know nothing. So as besties, that's kind of a problem. So I'm going to be helping Heather understand and getting her true, honest first reaction to what we know as true crime. So this podcast is definitely going to be partially educational, but it's not going to just be straight facts. Like, it's also going to be our conversation. In our own personal opinions, or really Heather's first thoughts. Yeah, because Jill made me promise that I would not look up any of these stories, and I have kept my word. And even though this first story is something that I should know about, I don't know anything about it. Um, so if you've read the title, then you probably already know that this is the case of Betsy Faria. And now I know you're thinking, oh my goodness, Heather Jill, this case has been done a hundred thousand times. You're not wrong, but, uh, we actually have personal connections to this case because we are both, um, from and currently living in Lincoln County, Missouri, where part of this case was taking place. And I'm not going to give too much of it away because literally Heather knows absolutely nothing about it. So... I literally was like, I was like, oh, look at my notes. And I was like, but you can't look at them. And then she was like, what did you say? You're like, oh, well, I thought you wanted me to look at them. I'm like, no. She offered them to me. She was like, hey, here are my notes. These are all of my notes. And then she like tilted the papers my way. So I was like, okay, I'll look at them. And she's like, don't look at them. Well, I guess you can look at some of them because you already know it's a murder. And I was like, I didn't know that it was a murder, but now I do. So... Like I was saying, I know that I should know about this, but I truly know nothing, which is mind-blowing. But again, it's problematic in our relationship, so we have to solve it. So Betsy was born Elizabeth K. Meyer on March 24th, 1969 in Richmond Heights, Missouri. She was known as a very fun, genuine, caring person. I need to know how old she'd be today. Oh, we're going to do math. Yeah. Okay, pause for math. Well, I should know how Hang on for math. Because you guys need to know, too. 52. Yeah, she's so, my mom. A little bit younger than my mom. Okay. I just needed that for some context. Thank you. Okay. My math skills are not that good in practical life situations. That's why we have phone calculators. <laughs> um, so, Betsy was known as a very fun, genuine, caring person. I also just realized that my haunted doll's name is Betsy Betsy. And, okay, it's throwing me off. She's on the floor. I don't believe in hauntings, but if hauntings were real, she would be haunted. 
Um, Betsy ran a part-time DJ business. She had two daughters named Mariah and Leah from a previous relationship. Later on, she met the love of her life. His name was Russell Faria. I can't say their last name. Okay, we're just gonna, because I can't pronounce their last name correctly, so... Um, we're just going to call him Russ because that's what everybody called him. So, Russ was known as an honest, hardworking, scruffy biker dude, um, but he was also a giant teddy bear, and that's what she really loved about him. The couple got married January 21st, 2000, and they wanted to buy a new house and kind of plan the rest of their lives together. Everything seemed to be going great until that January when Betsy got a horrible diagnosis. Um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and immediately started chemotherapy. So, shortly after that, um, they moved into their new house in a little town that no one has ever heard of before called Troy, Missouri. Yay, Troy! Yay, Troy. Um, For those of you who don't know us personally, Troy is our hometown, so it's always kind of shocking when you see your tiny hometown being recognized for anything, especially crime. Literally, like, national. (laughs) Like, I think this is the first time that I've ever seen Troy on, like, national headlines other than... Um, we did make it on, like, an episode of David Letterman because there was a newspaper ad for one of the real estate I do remember that. Okay, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I do remember that. Yeah, you get a free can of beans with the purchase of a home. (laughs) Yeah, free can of beans. So if that tells you anything about how we grew up. That explains Troy. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they bought their house in Troy and she kept up with her chemotherapy, and eventually she did go into remission later that year. And she decided that after going into remission, it would be a really fun idea for them to go on, like, a celebratory cruise um, with some of her close friends and family to kind of, like, move on from the cancer. Uh, so they set that up, and unfortunately, about a month before they were supposed to go, she got the diagnosis that it had came back and that oh, it no. spread to her liver. No, oh, no. And that she did not have very much time left. But she uh, kept in good spirits and decided to still go on the cruise. Um, I know there was something, like, she really wanted to swim with the dolphins, and that was, like, on her bucket list of things to do. Um, so they went. She got to swim with the dolphins and checked that off her bucket list. Nice. Um, so they got back from that, and then... Keep in mind, everybody, I don't know if this lady is the victim or the villain, so, like, I'm I'm trying not to get attached, because I literally don't know. Continue on. <laughs> I didn't think about you not knowing any of this going into it. Um, so, on December 27th, two days after Christmas, Russ had planned to have dinner with his mom. Apparently, he did that, like, once a week, um, and he was a mama's boy. Uh, also, every Tuesday, he went over to his friend's house to play games. They said that it was, like a role-play game, but I assume that it was, like, Dungeons and Dragons, but I can't find the specification anywhere, so, um, he went over there to play games and hang out. Okay, so the night before that, Betsy actually stayed at her mom's because she had an appointment the next day for chemotherapy, and so her mom took her, I think, uh, really, she had a lot of friends, so she always had somebody to go with her to chemotherapy, but that day, her mom took her, and, um, Russ had actually planned to pick her up, but she had texted him and said, hey, I got a, a ride with a friend, so you don't need to pick me up. But she didn't have her keys. So Russ was like, well, I'm already going to be gone, so I'll just leave the house unlocked for whenever you get back. Because this is Troy, Missouri. We're in the middle of nowhere. And people still leave their houses unlocked, unfortunately. That is true. I know people who do that. That freaks me out. Yeah, my grandma did that all the time. And I'm like, can't really. I have anxiety and my door has to be locked. Um, 
Russ also worked from home uh, until about five and then he left to run a few errands, but he ended up needing to run some more than he thought. So he canceled dinner with his mom and went straight to his friend's house after running the errands. Um, he got to his friend's house around 6 p.m. This was in Lake St. Louis, which is, what, 20, 30 minutes from Troy? Yeah. Um, not too far. But uh, not everybody that was supposed to be there showed up, so I guess they didn't have enough people to play their game. So then they were just like chilling and smoking weed. Nice. Yeah. And watching videos and stuff like that. Um, and then he left around 9 o'clock. He drove home, stopped at Arby's, which we were just at the other day. I love Arby's. That's going to play a big role. Arby's is? So, yeah, he stopped nice. and got himself something from Arby's. I have to say, Arby's is probably my best, my favorite fast food chain. You'll never be Unless maybe Raising Cane's. Maybe we shouldn't talk No, it's about not going to ruin Arby's for you, <laughs> but you will not be able to go to Arby's without thinking about this. Okay. I'm a little frightened, TV. I'm not going to lie. It's nothing bad. The Arby's didn't kill anybody. Okay. But, um, so he got home around 9.30, he goes inside, and he walks into the living room, and that's where he saw his wife. Um, he frantically called 911, and- So Betsy is the victim, is what I'm hearing. Yes. Okay. So I'm just trying to clarify he, for myself. He calls 911. I want you all to know that I'm a visual person and I'm having to listen to the story oh. completely auditorily for you, for your sake, because she will not let me see the notes. So oh, I'm I was just trying to build up I'm suspense. trying to clarify. I was trying to build up suspense because okay. so he called 911 freaking out, screaming that his wife had killed herself. Oh, okay. So um I have the transcripts from See, you you really let me down downstairs when you told me it was a murderer. Otherwise, well, you could have got me with that. She, he was, he was on the 911 call. I was going to try to play the 911 call, but I couldn't find it without that news anchor from Fox 2, like, interrupting all the time. Um, but basically, he's just like, she killed herself. She's on the floor. Oh, my God. Um, and he was, like, hysterically crying. Um, I'm not going to read all of that. It, I was going to play it, but I couldn't find, like, the full phone call. Um, apparently once before she had attempted suicide, so that's why he instantly went to thinking she killed him herself. Um, her wrists were slit all the way down to the bone. That's why he thought she had ended her own life. He did not notice that it was not just that her wrists were slit. She had multiple other wounds. The para paramedics got there and she was in rigor mortis. Um, there was literally blood everywhere covering their entire living room. And she had over a dozen stab wounds uh, hidden underneath her. So he couldn't see when he got in there. When he walked in, all he saw was his wife, that her wrists were slit, and that she was dead. So he automatically just assumed that she had committed suicide. They ended up finding out that it was a kitchen knife used, and she had 55 stab wounds. Obviously, at this point, they were like, this is not a suicide. She was stabbed to death. At the time, she was only 42 uh, they had determined that she had been dead for at least an hour, and obviously, uh, at first, because I do have a shirt that says the husband did it, they immediately suspected that Russ had killed her. Um, like I said in the intro, Jill talks the talk and wears the merch, and this isn't even merch, honestly. I think you made this herself. I did make it myself for a true crime podcast festival. Um, she has a shirt that said, that just simply says the husband did it, so... Apparently, you know her first thoughts. Yeah, I'm trying to... But it kind of makes sense, right? What makes sense? It usually is the husband. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> and see, we don't know if it was the husband or not. I know, but you're making me feel like it wasn't 
But you're really leading me down a path I'm where just... it's not the husband. <laughs> well, I'm just giving you like the facts of what happened. Okay, but you said as told by him. initially the paramedics assumed or the police assumed that he was guilty. Well, that's what you just said. So initially, that means now they don't. Sorry. Initially. So it's okay. Initially, it was a suicide. <laughs> so he was actually, the reason they suspected him right off the bat was, one, because he was like, hey, she killed herself. And it was actually like, hey, she's been stabbed 55 times. And also, his emotions were very, like, up and down, up and down. Like, he was hysterically crying, and then he was composed, and then he was, like, screaming, and then he was composed. Like, very, like, but then again, you cannot be, like. Like, he literally, somebody's in shock. Yeah, for sure. So, and they tested for DNA, but obviously his DNA was all over her because they were together and were married. Police actually found a pair of Russ's slippers covered in blood thrown in the back of the closet. They took him into questioning where he was interrogated for 10 hours. Straight. 10 straight hours. He explained how he was supposed to pick her up, but she got picked up by a friend he wasn't there. He's saying he didn't kill her. So while interrogation, Russ said that her friend was actually supposed to pick her up from chemotherapy. Um, this friend named Pam, she was the last person to actually see Betsy alive that we know of. Pam lived in O'Fallon. She ended up taking a part-time job working for a state farm, which was where Betsy worked. And Pam was kind of weird, but like super like laid back or tried to keep a low profile. She actually like talked about how um, she was somehow connected with the C- CIA or the FBI and that she had some sort of security clearance and, like, was, like, I think she was just overdramatic. Um, but for the most part, she didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, she mainly hung out with her family and just stuck to herself. She was known for getting involved in other people's businesses and was kind of, like, a dramatic person, obviously, unless she really was somehow connected to the FBI. Um, she is now. But... She didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, obviously. <laughs> um, she ended up getting hurt and receiving disability checks. Um, but Betsy no longer worked at State Farm, so they kind of lost touch. But, however, when Betsy was diagnosed with cancer, Pam somehow found out and reached out and wanted to help her. Um, many people have said she was a trauma friend, which is a friend that, you know, yeah. The name explains it. Yeah. I mean, um, everybody reaches out when you have cancer, I feel like. Right. And and most people say they were, like, besties and all this stuff. But, like, what I've heard from locals that actually knew her were, like, they weren't, like, best friends. Like, she didn't even go on a cruise with them. Which, I mean, who really knows the full story, but it just seemed like she just they kind of... cruise-level besties. Right. Like, she was, like, not, like, long-term life best friends. Like, she was just kind of, like, always there and... Okay, so uh, Pam and Betsy spent a lot of time together. Pam had said that Betsy was concerned with her life insurance policy because obviously she was dying of cancer, unfortunately. That makes sense. Um, and her life insurance policy was $150,000 at the time. Um, she was concerned that her husband wouldn't do well with the money and wouldn't save it and the kids would just blow it, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so... Um, going back to December 22nd, uh, it was seven days before Betsy was found dead. Um, Pam and Betsy had met at a local tennis club and they were chit-chatting and playing tennis. And then the next day they went to the library and had the librarian 
witness a signature that actually ended up being Betsy's life insurance policy. She was signing it over to Pam. Nice. Her bestest friend in the whole world that didn't go on the cruise. Wait, I'm so confused. Okay, so that doesn't make any sense to me then. So if everybody in Troy is saying that they weren't really besties, why on earth would you sign your life insurance policy to somebody that you weren't besties with? Well, Pam said it was because they were besties and then she was worried that Russ would just blow all the money, according to Pam. Okay, but, like, I love you and I would not sign my life insurance policy to you. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, she was just worried about it so she signed it all over this to her best suspicious. friend okay her I'll best friend pam make a note and Suspicions. made pam the sole beneficiary of her life insurance policy. i just don't understand mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense not a lot of things here make sense but okay. they mailed it off and actually it did not reach the um insurance office until the day after betsy was founded uh, but still, some Since guy was, was like, you know what, hey, this seems fine. Let's just, let's, because, you know, obviously at that point they would be like, okay, wait, like, this just got here. She's no longer here. Like. Yeah, that seems fishy. Right. But then they were just like, oh, that, you know, nothing's wrong with that. Um, so they had finalized that. Uh, they did question Pam. And this is a quote the from police. her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I quote, um. She said, wouldn't I have made sure the insurance policy change had actually gone through before I murdered her, if that was my plan all along? Why would I do that? Uh, there's no way I would have done that, because if I really wanted money, there's several other family members that I could murder. My mom has a lot of money, my husband has a lot of money, and they all have larger policies, so I could have just made a lot more money from any of them. That's and, a strange thing to say. Oh yeah, but you know, Troy, they're like, you know what, that sounds fine. That's, they said that that sounds fine? Yeah, they were just like, yeah, sounds about right. You're good to go, Russ. What on earth? Yeah. That, um, I am not a detective, and I would be suspicious of that. Yeah, but then again, this is Troy. <laughs> they just... That makes me nervous. I didn't realize that the Troy police officers were that trusting. Um, I feel like you need to be skeptical to be a police officer. Yeah, and I have no no clue, like, how you could actually say something. I, I would have murdered somebody I would have murdered somebody else. They have more money. That's, I feel like we should get arrested for saying that. Yeah. And I'm going to murder this person because I would get more money from them. Like, that's a terrible thing to say. Right. Okay. But I guess she had some sort of Whatever. charm about her. But Apparently. So, when they were questioning um, Pam, she, they were like, you know, what happened? And she said that she went to chemotherapy with her, brought her home. Uh, she dropped her off about 7 p.m. Then Pam went to her house, hung out with her husband, watched TV, went to bed. So, um, what had happened was uh, Pam showed up to pick up Betsy from her mom's apartment for her chemotherapy appointment. And when she got there, her mom told her that she had already left with her other friend. Her friend Bobby, who she... Um, used to get babysat by and they were just like very close she was in town and i guess betsy had told pam that she was gonna take her and she just wanted to spend some one-on-one time with her because she hadn't seen her in a while um but pam still showed up to pick her up anyway so once she got there and realized that betsy had already left she tried to say that she like had no idea that she wasn't picking her up anymore for her appointment, even though later on they found out that she literally replied to Betsy's text message about it and said, oh, that's a bummer, or bummer. Um, 
So instead of just going home because um, Bobby, which was um, Betsy's close friend, was taking care of it, she went to the appointment anyway. And Bobby said that it was very weird that she just showed up and Pam, uh, that Pam had just showed up and Betsy was, like, confused because she was, like, yeah, very clear about wanting to have one-on-one time with her, her friend Bobby. Yeah. Um, but Pam, I guess, insisted on taking her home. So, uh, even though Russ was, like, only a couple minutes away, um, and he was actually the one that was supposed to pick, pick her, her up. up. Yeah. That's what you said earlier. Yeah. So, um... For some reason, Pam just really wanted to be the one to take her home, even though Pam lived in O'Fallon, and I guess this appointment was near O'Fallon, Lake St. Louis, and she was like, I want to go out of my way to pick you up, take you all the way back to Troy, which is the opposite direction, yeah. 20, 30 minutes opposite direction, yeah. and then drive back home, even though your husband, who's already out this way, is supposed to be picking up. It's just weird. That's bizarre. Right. So, um... So, of course, after she insisted, um, Betsy had texted her husband and said that she was uh, Pam Hupp wants to bring bring me home to bed. Those are her, her words. Which was a little odd because um, around noon that day, um, her Russ had texted Betsy and said, I'm going to pick you up later today. And Betsy replied, great, thanks, honey. Um, but, of course, after Pam insisted... Um, Russ confirmed and said, she's bringing you, and Betsy replied and said, yes, she offered, and I accepted. I didn't get too much sleep. Mom snored. Uh, so, later that day, when she was, when Pam was being interrogated, Pam said that Betsy actually asked for the ride, hmm. instead of Pam asking her and her accepting, like she had sent the text messages. So, after, after the treatment was done... Um, Betsy actually went back to her mom's apartment with her friend Bobby and they played games and all that stuff while Pam went home and had dinner with her husband. So for some reason, <laughs> uh, Pam was like, I still want to pick you up from your mom's apartment and bring you all the way back to Troy, which again, makes absolutely no sense. Um, so Betsy, uh, so Pam picks up Betsy from her mom's apartment and brings her back home and around this time is like 7 p.m., um, when Pam pulled into the driveway, she, she called her husband to let him know that she was there. He didn't answer. It just went to voicemail. And in this voicemail, she actually put Betsy on the phone and had her wish her husband a very Merry Christmas. So she did that. And according to her husband, Pam's husband, Mark, Betsy sounded like her normal bubbly self. Um, but Pam... What? We're on the 27th. Why is she wishing him a happy or Merry Christmas two days later? I, I guess they didn't talk before then, but they're best friends and talk and hang out every day, according to the media, which I don't think is right. But, um... Okay, just curious. No, yeah, that that doesn't make any sense, but I guess maybe this was the first time they had seen each other since the holidays, but it was just kind of weird, kind of alibi that she made him yeah. do that. Anyway, um... So, Pam had said that whenever she dropped Betsy off, she was not feeling very easy about it because, like we said before, um, Russ had left the doors unlocked because she didn't have all her keys and um, the house was dark. So, uh, at first, she thought she saw a Nissan Maxima in the driveway, which 
was a Russ's car and thought maybe he was already home. But then later, she said she actually saw a Ford Explorer SUV, and she wasn't sure if she should leave Betsy uh, alone in the house with her husband, because according to Pam, um, Betsy had actually wanted to move back to Lake St. Louis, and they had a plan uh, to move into her old mom's house. This is all according to Pam. So, she was planning on telling Russ all of this tonight, and... Uh, according to Pam, Betsy just knew that Russ was going to be very angry about it. And um, according to Pam, Russ was very controlling and had anger issues and a violent temper and all sorts of things. So she was, like, un uneasy about leaving her there by herself with Russ. Okay. So. Which, like, I don't know if that's true or not. Like, every marriage has problems, so maybe that was an issue, but. Right. I don't know. Um. But she just thought it was weird that she, like, didn't have her keys, I guess. She always thought she, she had her purse and her keys. Well, we already knew that she didn't have her keys. Right, but Pam said she thought maybe Russ had tried to do that on purpose, that she didn't have her keys on purpose for some reason. Okay. Um, so then she, Pam said that she felt guilty about leaving Betsy alone there, um, thought maybe that Russ would be violent and they would get into a, an argument after she had told him that she wanted to move back to Lake St. Louis, according to her. Um, but when she was being interrogated, she told them that she didn't go inside the house at all. Uh, she just, she just dropped her off and then left. Uh, later she changed her story and said that she did go in, but it was only for a couple of minutes and it was only to turn on the hall light. And then, uh, shortly after that, she said that actually Betsy had invited her inside to look at a jewelry cabinet that Russ had gotten her for Christmas. And, like, she was super happy with this. Y'all can't see my face, but I'm, my eyebrows are furrowed because I'm confused. Um, and so she wanted to see this jewelry, uh, this jewelry cabinet that she got for Christmas, and it was in the bedroom. So, first, she didn't go inside at all. Then she went inside, she only went in the hall. Yeah. Now she's inside, they were hanging out, and she went all the way in the back bedroom. Yeah, but you can't change your story that much. Mm. Those are some big changes. Well... I say this knowing the outcome at this point. You know what I mean? So, like, maybe I wouldn't think that if it was the first time I heard it and I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. Well, um... I'm putting the context clues together. Pam had said that she got Betsy settled on the couch and, like, tucked her in and stuff, which just, like, doesn't make any sense because you guys were in her bedroom. Why is she sleeping on the couch? I don't know. Maybe she just slept on the couch. Um, but after that, Pam said that Betsy may have actually walked her to the front door and not that she had, she didn't tuck her in. Maybe she walked her to the front door. She doesn't remember? She doesn't remember. Um, How do you not remember? Maybe she didn't leave her on the couch, is what she said. I'm confused. Yeah, she couldn't remember. This is the last time you saw your best friend and you can't remember what happened? Mm -hmm. Your brain would have that etched in for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my personal opinion. No, I agree. I mean, I know Am I an shock, expert? No. But... <laughs> <laughs> You're some sort of expert. You got a degree in psychology. Uh, yeah, I do have a bachelor's in psychology. We actually both have bachelor's in psychology, but... I don't use mine. I don't either. <laughs> well, I do a little. Like, what I'm doing now is related, but not specifically psych. I'm using my psych degree to talk about murder. So. There we go. <laughs> Starting a pod. Yeah. So, after she had either put her on the couch or to the front door, she doesn't know, um... She called Betsy. Uh, well, I'm also confused because 
she's said several things here now. Mm-hmm. She said, I didn't go inside. Then she said, I stepped inside to turn on the light. Then she said, I went to the bedroom. Then she said, I tucked her in. Now she's saying, I went to the door. So She walked her to the door. Now she's saying she didn't turn on the light, even. Yeah. It's but just... why would you say that you did if you didn't? Well, she just said, she just was telling them that she just couldn't remember. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So, um, she called Betsy when she got home to let her know that she had made it home safe. But then she corrected herself and said that it was actually when she was almost home, they talked on the phone. Uh, she actually changed her story again and said that actually she called Betsy when she was trying to figure out how to get home. What? Which makes absolutely no sense because she had been there multiple times before. And as we know, because we've driven to O'Fallon from here multiple times. It's a straight shot. It literally is. You get on the highway and that's it. So. I don't understand. Yeah, it makes sense. I don't know what side of O'Fallon she lives on, but she'd make one turn. Well, no, this was, she was still in Troy trying to get to O'Fallon. Oh. According to what she had said. Now, I don't know where they live in Troy, but Troy's not a complicated place, so. No, and it's super tiny here. Um... But even though she had been there multiple times and made her way back. Um, so she said that she actually called Betsy to get directions on how to get back to her house. But when the police looked at her phone records, it actually showed that she had called Betsy at 727 when she was still in Troy, not too far from Betsy's house. So she actually changed her story. She said that she had pulled over at a fork in the road. Literally, where is our fork in the road here? Sorry. Doesn't make any sense. This is it's not like, I mean, Troy's small, but it's not like you're driving on cornfields. Yeah. Like, to get to O'Fallon. It's a big, small town. So she actually changed her story. Um, again, Betsy did not answer her phone. Um, but before she had said she had called her and got directions on how to get home. Did she leave a voicemail? Um, it doesn't say that she left a voicemail, but I'm not sure. I'm sure that she probably did. So why can't we just... I feel like police officers should be able to get said voicemail. Well, yeah, they got, well, they had And then determine. Records. Well, I mean, like. They had Betsy's phone, so if she did leave her a voicemail. Then they would know if it, if she was at a fork in the road or driving home or at home, you know what I mean? Because no, she probably would have said. her location. From the. No, I know, but I mean, like, what she said right. on the phone. Well. Because it seems like she's confused or purposefully confused. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But she keeps changing her story, so. If we just had the voicemail, they could be like, you said that you were at home, but you were actually here. Why did you say that? And then she'd be like, oh. She's just as confused. And they're like, oh, okay, that's fine. Makes sense. I don't understand. Mm. <laughs> well, um, she said she didn't pick up the phone. So uh, whenever she got home, she called her son and then sent Betsy a text message. And Betsy did not reply to her text message. And so she was like, hmm, maybe she's mad at me because I, I left her alone at her home. And... Um, yeah, that's, she was literally there to drop her off at her home, but then she's like, maybe she's mad that I left her there. She's probably, okay, well, she's dead, but. She is, yeah. I feel like the first thing to assume if you didn't know that she was dead is that she's sleeping because she just had chemo. Right. Which is very hard on the body. You you theoretically just talked her in to sleep on the couch. Why would you think that she's mad? Why wouldn't you just assume she was sleeping? Right. When you apparently talked her in. Yeah. When you say that you did. You don't know. You would expect her to be sleeping, not to be angry. Right. Well, at this point, um, Pam called Betsy's mom and said that she's worried about her because she's not answering her text messages, even though she's it's literally at night and she yeah. just, like you said, went through chemotherapy. 
Um, so Betsy's mom tried calling her and got no answer. And her mom, her mom's name is Janet. Janet was like, well, maybe she just went to bed. So everybody else went to bed. And obviously the next, or later that night, found out that she had been killed. Uh, On December 29th, after Betsy had been murdered, investigators interviewed Mark, which was Pam's husband, um, to make sure that her story made sense. And the issue with that is that usually when you investigate somebody trying to make sure that their story fits with somebody else, you would want to make sure that they're not talking to that person. Yeah. But they put them in the same room together. Oh, nice. While he was being And it was two days later. Yeah. So, like, they were together. Right. At home. After that. And she was in there. And so, according to the investigators, like... I am just so confused how our police department flubbed this up so bad. Well, yeah. They said, well, we haven't even gotten to any arrests yet. I know, but I'm just saying, like, it sounds like they... I mean, I respect police officers. Please don't get me wrong. But this seems bad. Yeah. This seems, like, really bad. Well, really, like, all he said was, like, yeah, I got, a, like, a missed phone call. And then Pam took over the entire thing. <laughs> and, like, talked for the rest of it. And they took that as his story. Yeah. Um, and she just kept saying, like, oh, like, Betsy was so afraid. Um, and how Russ would make mean comments to her. And that he had a drinking problem and was violent. And, like, she even... We're not said, talking about Russ... Well, she even said that one time, um, Pam said that one time she saw Russ give Betsy some Gatorade, and the Gatorade looked kind of funny, and that, like, Betsy drank it and spit it out right away, so she was like, that's strange, like, I think he poisoned her and tried to kill her with that, you know, I was the only one that seen it, but, like, I think that happened, and then, um, apparently Russ had made some comment to Pam about how, like, he was getting so much money um, whenever Betsy died. Like, he couldn't wait. Only to her. Like, nobody's ever heard him talk like this. And all his friends were like, never do anything to hurt her. But she's like, no, he was violent, drinking problem. He tried to poison her once. And he said he couldn't wait till she died because he would get all the money. So. Nice. Um, yeah. And then they went on to be like, well, you know, why are you her beneficiary? And she just said that they were talking about it and... There was, she was actually wanting to file for divorce. I wonder if any of that's true. Well, there's email proof. Because when they went to the, they went to the library, signed all those papers or whatever, um, Pam said that Betsy had written an email talking about how abusive he was and how she didn't want to be with him. And, like, he tried to, like, kill her with a pillow once. Um, My God. Yeah. But Pam actually never got this email. No one's actually ever seen it, but according to Pam, it's real. Um, okay. And they were, like, actually at the library trying to print out the email as proof, but then they couldn't print out the email because they weren't able to send it. So then they're like, oh. And then she was like, actually, scratch that because they would be able to find it. So then she's like, actually, it wasn't an email. It was it was a um, it was a file on Betsy's computer. But then after that, she was like... I can't handle this. Yeah, she was, like, completely cooperative, um... She gave the police Maybe, everything. Do, is Pam just, like, a sincerely confused person? That's what I needed to know. Well, very. She has some issues. Okay, but, like, before she was a murderer, because that's where this is going, right? Was she just confused all the time, or is she just a bad liar? Because she's not a good liar. Do you know what's 
crazy. I don't know this People person. People still believe all of this. That she, that, that what she said? Yeah. But anyway, so, yes. I mean, maybe if she had told one story, I would follow it, but I literally can't keep up with what she's saying because she oh, changes her mind so much. I know, and that's why it's hard because it's, like, if it was just one thing where she was like, oh, yeah, like, she said she was at Walmart and she actually was, like, murdering somebody in a field, it would be so easy. But it's so hard to, like, do this because she's literally, like, just changing so much stuff that I'm having a hard time reading it. And, like, I know that those are details that are, like, important. But. Yeah. So, yeah, she, like, was cooperative and all that stuff. And then they wanted to give Russ a polygraph test. And Troy PD does not have one. So they went to, like, St. Louis. And they actually told uh, Russ that he failed the polygraph. And obviously he was distraught and upset. And they, after he, he, they told him that he had failed, they arrested him. This is January 4th of 2012. He was charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action. My gosh. And obviously, everybody in Russ's family was very confused because he is a big teddy bear who literally still had lunch with his elderly mother once a week. Like, they're, they're like, how... I don't think that means you can't be crazy, though. Well, yeah, but they're like, you have to be a real kind of crazy to stab your wife 55 times. Yeah. So. That's true. Obviously, the media and everybody was like, here's a murderer. He stabbed his wife with cancer and killed her and probably did it for money, apparently, even though he never got any. Because the media... Good thing Betsy transferred it to Pam. Well, the media, of course, is not... I can see how people would be confused because the media is not like, oh, this lady Pam Huff took her and then changed her story 50 times and actually Right, they probably didn't even mention her. No, it was literally just like, oh, like... He got arrested for murder. This guy arrested and charged... For stabbing his wife 50 times and everybody's like, okay, well, that's... He must have done it. Right. Yeah. So eventually everybody was convinced, even Betsy's daughters were convinced that Russ had murdered their mother. I forgot that she had kids. Yeah. I mean, it's sad when anybody dies, but... Yeah. And I think, I believe that they were like, like, late teens when this happened. They probably trusted him, too. Well, yeah. And then to hear that that had happened, that would be really rough. Right. And so... Ross's cousin actually worked for, like, a legal place. She wasn't a lawyer, but she worked for one. His name was Joel Swartz. And so Joel was hired to defend Russ. And then he started looking through everything. And, like, he was going through it and he was like, how are these people not, in, like, considered? Yeah, why are they not suspicious? Like, yeah. it, she just has been so sus. Right. Because, obviously... Pam was the last person to see her alive, and she's changed her story six hundred times and made herself the beneficiary, right, of her life insurance. Which, which With I'm sorry, no proof of anyone else wanting to do that. I do wonder, like, if they spoke to the librarian. I don't, I don't know. There wasn't much on that, but like, I just want to know if Betsy was even in the right state of mind because obviously, right. That's what I'm saying, and people don't realize like how much chemo can really affect you, right? Yeah, like it can really make your brain not function right and she could have even i don't know this, she could have been a walking she, zombie for that period of time lied about what they were too true that's just too. been like yeah, oh hey like, sign this it's for your and we need a notary here's the notary something. yeah you yeah. signed it which these are all speculations i'm not sure oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean obviously i don't know yeah so um <laughs> y'all know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so she pam had no alibi last person to see her live kept changing her stories was the beneficiary whatever 
Um, Russ's alibi was airtight, bringing back Arby's again. He literally had his receipt <gasps> thrown in the back of his truck, and he got the receipt. And the Arby's receipt was... for the win is what I'm hearing. I got nervous at the beginning of the story when you told me I'll never see Arby's the same. Well, where was he at at Arby's? There's there wasn't an Arby's in Troy then. 2012. Is that mm. when it first came up? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I just I like to assume it was, it was Troy Arby's. I don't think it was there when I left for college because I remember being like so excited that Arby's was coming because I'm obsessed with Arby's and I used to have to go like super far to get it. I'm trying to think because you know what? It must have been Winsville because this was 2012. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think they opened like 2015. I think so too. Okay. Scratch that. Troy Arby's is fine. This was probably Winsville. It didn't say, but... I just assumed since he was on his way back home, he would have just stopped at Arby's there. Now I'll, now I'll look at it the same way every time. But, so he did have his Arby's receipt, and it was timestamped 909. Maybe it was like St. Louis too. I don't know. But it, the Arby's receipt was timestamped 909. And when was she murdered? I'm asking the hard questions. Okay, I will get to that in a second. Okay. So, but the reason that everybody was like, oh my gosh, was because... He had stopped to get cigarettes on his way home. So everybody thought he was a bad person because he smoked cigarettes? No, because they were like, well, you were, like, out earlier, so, like, at a gas station earlier, why didn't you get cigarettes there? And oh, okay. he went okay. to a different place to get cigarettes. But, as we all know, cigarettes cost different at different places. And so he went to a different gas station because they had the cheapest cigarettes in Troy. Now, I am assuming he went to the Walmart <laughs> gas station because... I think they had the cheapest cigarettes because my best friend's stepdad used to... literally would not know. Well, my, I don't smoke, but my best friend's stepdad used to, when he had, like, little kids, he didn't want to drive to the gas station, so he would give me money to go pick him up cigarettes when I turned 18. Um, and he always went nice. to the Walmart one because they were... Talking the about good old Troy, Missouri here. <laughs> we're really painting a good picture for you guys. <laughs> yeah, so, um, they were like, well, you were at a gas station, why didn't you just get cigarettes there? Blah, blah, blah. But... Did he defend that? Yeah. He said okay. they were a whole dollar cheaper at a different place. Well, then that makes sense. And I know he was at the the one by Denny's because I've seen this. I'm just confused. Footage. So we need to chat about the timing here then because if he had to go to Arby's in Wentzville, what time was he at Arby's and what time was he at the gas station getting cigarettes? Well, it didn't matter. It's, hang on. It does so it matter. So it was timestamps 909, but it didn't matter what he said because they, they, they said, this is where it gets freaking great that he actually like only stopped at those places to get an alibi and that actually he didn't go to arby's he had his friends do that so he could get the receipts so he could go kill her and have time that's what the police said that's what they said yes that is what the police said that he only did that so he could have an alibi um okay but i think i would feel like that was true if i knew what time he went to arby's and what time he went to the gas station because if there wasn't an Arby's in Troy, he would have had to drive all the way from Winsville to Troy. Yeah, but... So I need to know the timestamps, or otherwise I'm going to be suspicious of this Arby's, man, too. Arby's timestamp was 909. And what time was the gas station? Hang on. Let me just read this out. I don't... He only stopped to make an alibi, but if you think about it... There's not a time on there? I'm trying to find the time for... All of his errands were done before 6 o'clock, and Betsy was still alive at 7.05. And she was with Pam. Nine oh nine is not. He went on his way home. So they actually did a test run. The police officers from Russ's friend's house to Russ's house to see if he could even make it home in time with enough time to kill Betsy. And it took twenty three minutes for the officer to 
get from the friend's house back home. Okay. Um, the officer drove on the shoulder of the road to get there faster, to make it in time, to make it make sense. Um, he didn't make a stop at Arby's, but if somehow he had made it home in 23 minutes... That would only leave nine minutes for him to stab Betsy over 55 times and then clean himself up and call 911. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't even make any sense. But, of course, they said that he didn't even stop at Arby's because they said his friend stopped at Arby's to give him an alibi. But still, he had nine minutes to stab his wife, take a shower, clean up. Yeah, and him and his friends are all psycho and willing to cover yeah, up a murder. Because they smoke weed. Yeah, makes sense. That's what they said. Because they were drug addicts. I don't smoke weed, but... I don't, th- I don't either. I don't think it makes you a psychopath. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and, but, if it was meth, I'd give it a different story. But oh, weed, okay. No. They just did weed. But apparently they were, like, hardcore drug addicts, according oh to the police gosh. department. Uh, oh anyway. Gosh. So, um, the forensics team actually did not find blood anywhere on Russ. Literally nowhere on his body. They checked under his nails. Okay, um, so that's clearly not the case, because you can't clean yourself up that well in nine minutes after you stab somebody 55 times. How long would it take you to stab somebody 55 times? A long time. That's yeah. a lot of work. And he's wearing the same t-shirt, so, that he left in, with no blood on it. So, like, he cleaned that his t-shirt. That just doesn't make sense. And, and did all this in nine minutes. And dried it. In nine minutes. <laughs> so, Not um, to be morbid about how long it would take somebody, but well, I just feel like it would take a long time. That's a lot of stabs. Yeah, and how would you even wash... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not even addressing that because that's makes absolutely no sense. But it happened. Okay. So the only evidence that they had connecting him to it um, was the slippers they found in the closet. I am confused about the slippers. There was not any blood on the bottom of the slippers, just on the side. Okay. So that that must be important. Yeah, because if they're, I'm sorry, (laughs) because if you kill somebody, you're like, stabbing them 55 times and there's blood everywhere, if you're walking in those slippers, they're going to get blood on the bottom of them. There was no blood anywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. You did say at the beginning that blood was covering, like, every surface. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you're getting stabbed 55 times. I understand. So, it was literally blood in her hair and everything. So, if you're wearing these slippers and then you're just throwing them in the back of your closet, even though you have time to clean your shirt of all the blood under your nails, just, yeah. So, um, but Pam actually... Said that she I do take... have another question. Hmm? How did he, like, did he not, I guess, like, how do you get home and see that your spouse whom you love so much is on the floor dead and, like, not rush over to them? You know what I mean? Yeah. If there was no blood on his body anywhere, like, I don't know that my first, I think initially I would run over to them and be like, are they alive check or are they dead? See. You know, yeah. and, like, check. Yeah. So that's kind of weird, too. Yeah, that... I didn't think about that. Here I am changing the narrative. Well. <laughs> There's more to learn, I'm sure. Like, I understand calling 911. Like, that would be really scary to see. But I feel like my my first gut reaction would be to run over and be like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Is this a joke? Like, what's going on? And I don't know necessarily where she was stabbed, but it could be possible that he did try to take her pulse. But, like, they said yeah, she but- was already in rigor mortis and she was, like, cold to the touch. So maybe he... Because I feel she's like covered in blood. Right. If he even touches her neck to do a pulse or her arm to do a pulse, like, I just don't understand. Maybe. How then they would say that he had none of her blood anywhere. Right. 
Well... Or whatever they were testing for. I don't know. There if it was be. just blood or whatever. Well, they said that he had no blood anywhere on his body or on his clothes. But that's so strange. Maybe he's scared of blood. But then did, like, he... If there was no... If there was no blood on his body or on his clothes, like, that would mean that from his doorway, he would have seen that. I don't know if it was light or dark. Obviously, I wasn't there. And then immediately called 911 and stood by the door. Like, that's weird. I'm just being... I'm just I saying... I can play the 911 call. I'm just bringing it up. You want to hear it? I mean, maybe I need to. Should we play now? I just feel like I'm suspicious of everyone involved. Well, we're going to have to wait until next week to find out. Because we're leaving it off there because we've talked enough. Okay. Did he do it? Did he not? Did she do it? Did none of them do it? You don't know yet. Because you don't know anything about this story. I honestly don't know, but I've heard the most about Pam, so I feel like it was Pam. But also, this the more I'm hearing about the husband, I am a little suspicious of him. I mean, we'll find out next week. I'm just saying I'm keeping my options open. Open-minded. Yep. We like that in true crime. Well, that is the end of part one of this series, I guess. I don't know how many parts there's going to be. I guess we'll find out. But thank you guys for joining us. Uh, make sure to subscribe, maybe rate, maybe leave us a comment if you're on Apple Podcasts. And we will see you again, same place, next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.